We are back with another episode of the Black Box Podcast. I'm your host, Ahmed. And I'm your host, John. And we got an interview today with a good friend of mine. Um, well, I'm really good friends with his son, Connor, but we interviewed Tim Shanley. He is a part owner of Cole's Pizza in Bronxville, as well as the founder and owner of Run and Hide Brewing Company, which is going to be moving into a uh, Port Chester, what is it, Tap Room Brewing House uh, in the next couple of years. But he's been, you know, creating his brand and creating a line of beers that he's been stocking in local supermarkets and developing a, a name for himself. He's also been doing home brews for a long time. He's also into like curing meats and stuff. So <laughs> it just kind of all combines into what he's going to be offering in the new uh, Tap Room. So we talk about that. The brewery grand opening is coming up in the next couple of weeks, so it was a good timing just to, <clears throat> sorry, um, you know, get this episode out, have him on, and let him just uh, spread his message. And he's a really cool guy, and his product is delicious. I've tried a handful of the beers in his line, so yeah. yeah Tim's a beast. But without further ado, let's get into it. We're super excited to... Uh, announce on black box that we have our first advertisement and it is with our very own podcasting platform zencaster which is what we've been using since day one to record remotely with our guests uh, and they become a new sponsor for the show so tune in check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned to hear more about why we love zencaster hey guys really excited to tell you guys about black ice the black owned jewelry business uh owned by Sean Moore, who we've had on the podcast before. And if you just think about it, black box, black ice, it's a match made in heaven. <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah. So, you know, jewelry in itself, obviously it's flashy, but you know, on black box, we like to talk more about the investment aspect. Gold jewelry, as well as watches are a physical asset class in their own, which is a bit safer. And if you've seen the markets in the past year or so, stock market and crypto have been down a lot, whereas gold is really good at preserving its value. And that's what it's known for. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that I've worked with him before personally to get a gift from my mother that was also a slightly custom piece as well. Uh, I have nothing but good things to say about Sean. He was easy. He was flexible. The price was fair. And, you know, I met up with him quick and easy transaction. And my mom loved the gift and it turned out great. Yeah. So if all of this sounds good to you, you could check out his website or his socials. Um, it's Black Ice NYC, but it's black with a V instead of an A. And if you're looking for something stock, you could find it there. But he also does custom goods and he specializes in doing custom things with a quick turnaround. Uh, yeah. And also, if you're looking for a specific item, especially with, you know, watches, Sean loves to do sourcing. And because he's in the business, it's a little bit better pricing than going directly through retail and working with, you know, the corporations. We also think it's a bit better. And we talk about that on the pod that you'd be supporting, you know, an upcoming entrepreneur and a small business instead of going and giving your money to these big corporations anyway. Yeah. So again, we're so excited to partner with Black Ice and be sure to check the description down below for uh, hit Sean's socials and his website and stay tuned for cool opportunities coming very soon. Just don't forget to mention the black box sent you. All 
Alrighty. Uh, Tim Shanley, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Glad we could uh, finally coordinate a time and start talking. You want to just introduce yourself a little bit before we jump into the conversation? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me, JP. My name is Tim Shanley. I'm the owner operator of Run and Hide Brewing Company. And I'm also an owner of Cole's Pizza. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. So I guess I wanted to start there. Was Cole's your first experience with uh, like owning a business or did you have something before that? I've only asked Connor so much, so I don't know the whole story. Um, food wise, yeah. Cole's Pizza was my first um, first business. I, I was in the music business years ago, but uh, got married and had kids and that quickly went out the window. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we, you did mention that to me once or twice when I was over there, but do you want to touch on that a little bit? Where were you working at and what were you kind of doing? Sure. I owned a little pre-production company in Manhattan called Organic Music, and I was partners with Kevin Lanier from the Mighty Mighty Boston's, and we basically did a bunch of demo deals for people and uh, produced some records. We did a bunch of hip-hop, a bunch of dancehall reggae, a little bit of hardcore, some ska, and a little bit of alternative music. So you kind of dabbled in multiple genres? I dabbled in multiple genres. And then uh, 9-11 happened, our rent went through the roof, so we left. And uh, and that was about it for the music. And then how long between when that stopped and when you took part ownership in Cole's Pizza? A long time, probably about probably about 10 years. Did construction, worked at Con Edison, and then opened up Cole's Pizza 10 years ago. And there's multiple locations for that? Or there was? Yeah, or? yeah there's, a, there's a couple of locations. Some of them have closed, but uh, the only one I'm involved with is the one in Bronxville. And, um, but we had one in Port Chester also, which is where we're opening up the brewery and the tap room. Um, but that's where I started with the craft beer. Uh, being the beer buyer for Cole's Pizza. Uh, I've been home brewing for about 20 years and um, just started a great craft beer program at both Cole's Pizzas. And um, I was going to start a brewery right before Cole's Pizza, but I got cold feet. So I opened up the restaurant and then I continued to homebrew. And, you know, everybody just kept saying, Tim, your homebrews are great. So I said to my wife, I'm going to brew this farmhouse saison, give it to some heavy hitters in the beer industry that I really uh, appreciate and look up to. And they all came back straight across the board and said, dude, what are you doing? Make some beer professionally. So um, we're supposed to be building a brewery in Portchester, but everything got delayed due to COVID. Um, so what I did is I, I started Gypsy Brewing about a little over two years ago. So I've been brewing out of friends' breweries, canning it, kegging it and selling it myself. And you also, during this process, before you started up the, uh, what the brewery and tap house, and you've been working with in your friends breweries, you were able to get these beers in like local stores in the area, right? Tri-state area. Or? Yeah. You know, we were, because I was the beer buyer for Cole's pizza. You made these connections, um, right? Yeah. So everybody knew, Hey, so when I went to go see a restaurant in Tarrytown or a bar in Brooklyn, I was like, hey, I'm Tim from Cole. Oh, we know Coles. And um, I said, I have some beer. So I was received very warmly. Um, we, we, we brewed about we brewed about 
400 kegs of beer so far and we blow through it we we sell it out before we even finish canning it and kegging it i guess uh just for the audience and myself what's like normal metrics for like i guess when you make a batch like how, how big are these sizes how many kegs are you making at once Good question. So uh, I started brewing up at Crossroads, which is in Athens, New York. I'm friends with the gentleman, the owner up there. His name's Ken Landon. We actually met in Chicago. We went to um, Siebel Institute on Claiborne Avenue, and it's the oldest brewing school in the world. And oh, wow. we took some classes there together, and I met him, and he opened up. And anyhow, so I started brewing up at Crossroads. And so barrel size, I started with a seven barrel. So when, they, when, you, when you say a brewing system has seven barrels, it's actually double. So it's like 14 barrels because pre-pro, uh, back in the day, kegs used to be 31 U.S. gallons. Now they're 15.5 gallons. Okay. But when they talk about measurements, they still go with the old. So I started doing a seven barrel, which gave me 14 half barrels, which are the big kegs. Yeah. And I was blown through that. So then I moved to a 15 barrel. So that was 30 Kegs is that like the size of the thing that you're making it in or like well, just the output yeah. of your yeah like basically let's call it two big pots and we're making soup you know um the brew house their brew house up there is a 20 barrel but they have fermenters which are those big shiny conical fermented yeah. you know, looking things um so it really depends on the brew house how much grain and water i can put in it and then the fermenters how big are they that i can dump it in Okay. So up there, they have a 20-barrel brew house, and they have 7-barrel fermenters, 15-barrel fermenters, 20-barrel fermenters, and 40-barrel fermenters. So I went from a 7 to a 15 to a 20. So I'm brewing 20 barrels these days. And that gives you 40. 40 U.S. kegs. Yeah, it's a lot of beer. And then I guess at that point, I guess just to understand the process a little bit, are you taking it from the keg and then putting it into – cans or you take it right out of the wherever you're getting it from and then putting it into cans and you're just putting it into different dispense different types of dispensaries i get that question all the time um so what we do is we after we brew it we dump it into a fermenter where we pitch the yeast and the yeast does it works and it gets carbonated and it turns into alcohol and then we take it and i dump it into a tank called a bright tank where we cold crash it so i start at 40 down to 38 and then down to 32 degrees and then I just hook up a hose out of that bright tank okay. and I put it right into a keg filling machine and I keg off some beers of what I want. And then the rest, I hire a mobile canning company and they come in and I, out of the same tank, I hook it up into their mobile canner and then I can into 16 ounce cans. I guess then they, they have like a machine that just makes it like a conveyor belt type situation. Exactly. And- exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, the cost of canning lines are really expensive, but more importantly, they're really high maintenance. It's like it's a full-time job. So a lot of breweries just outsource choose it. to outsource it. Yep. And that's smart. That's also yep. one of the things like good principles in entrepreneurship is knowing what you can do and knowing what you shouldn't do. Yep. 100%. Any, yeah. I guess one question a little bit uh, more general. What – what have you learned or what are like the differences you've experienced between being involved in the music industry, being involved in restaurant and now trying to go to beers and breweries? Good question. Um, 
Well, basically what we're trying to do now is we're building a brewery in Port Chester. It's a big project. It's a nine-story building. Um, we're going to have the ground floor and the second floor. And I'm basically wrapping everything I've done over the last 30 years into one. So at the brewery, we'll obviously brew beer. I'm a big sausage guy. I make charcuterie. I make gabagols and I make prosciuttos and supersades and a ton of different fresh sausages. And we're going to have live music. So uh, That's awesome. Yeah. So everything's going to uh, be under one house. All my passions. Okay. Gotcha. So it's more like a chill hangout spot that you can get food drinks and it also happens to be a brewery where you make and then distribute beers yes but and so it's not just like the normal brewery no. that people aren't coming to like no it's not you know what from being in the uh, in the restaurant business these last 10 years it showed me it showed me that you can't just open something up you know um times are very tough costs are high there's a lot of competition you know you have to you got to do something grand these days, or at least that's how I feel, or, or you're going to go out of business, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, some people get in there and they just throw a bunch of things on the wall and hope they stick. But the three things I've done for a good part of my life is make beer, make sausages and play drums in bands and recorded other people. So, uh, the things that I am choosing that they're, uh, you know, it's my heart and soul. I love yeah. all of those three things. Yeah. You already have good experience in them and know how to, like what the people are looking for, what they want and how to, because at the end of the day, it's still just creating an environment that people are going to want to come and hang yeah. out and eventually yeah. spend money at. So, yeah. Yeah. That's what I was just going to transition to, I guess. So what's the plan coming up? What have you needed to do to kind of prepare for this brewery and the building of it i don't know how involved you were with the building because you said there was nine stories and you're only on the first two so is there yeah. a, a private equity that's de dealing with the building there, and everything? There, there is so what happened is we won a grant through new york state um because this project when it opens is going to employ eight full-time employees and we're manufacturing a product so uh we won a grant so i hooked up with the developer so he bought two buildings he tore them down so this is a brand new building, you know, okay. right now it's a hole in the ground and we're pouring footings right now as we speak. Um, but yeah, I hooked up with a developer. So upstairs is going to be residential. So I'll have the first floor and the second floor, full kitchen, 15 barrel brew house. And upstairs I have a private event space and an outside deck for um, outside seating. So, um, but what happened was, so everything is delayed, right? Due to, due to COVID. So yeah. my wife and I and my kids were up in New Paul's. And uh, we're walking through the streets, and we I saw a sign for, um, I'm drawing a blank. It was something tap room. It'll come to me. But there's a brewery up in yeah. Kerhonkson. There's a brewery in Kerhonkson, and I buy beer from them. And uh, I saw a tap room. I said, wait, that, that brewery is about 45 minutes from here. So I walked in, and I said, what's this? I said, oh, this is our tap room. We brew the beer up there. Arrowwood Farms is the name of them. Okay. And uh, they brew up in Kerhonkson, and, and they just bring the beer here. I said, so what is it? It was a tiny little bar. It sat like 20 people. He's like, nothing. We just have wine and our beer here. And that was it. I said to my wife, I can't wait anymore. I'm going to uh, open up a tap room. So I went to, back to Port Chester, spoke to some folks and pulled the trigger. And our grand opening is this Tuesday, August 2nd at 430. So we have a 40 seat um, tap room. We're going to have a full liquor license and our beer is on tap and in cans and bottles. 
and um, I don't have a kitchen. So it's a no-cook kitchen. So again, ties into my hobbies. We're going to be serving um, charcuterie. We're going to be doing salads, everything that requires no cooking. Salads, uh, fresh mutts, prosciutto de parma, olives, artichoke carts, sandwiches. (laughs) Yeah. So um, we're super excited, super nervous, but um, in a couple of days, we're going to open this up and we're going to operate out of this while we build the big building. Once the big building is built, then we'll slide over into that new space. Okay. Yeah. What's the estimated time that you think you'll be able to make the transition or it's not? I keep saying two years, but I've been saying two years for four years. So two years. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We'll give it another two and then check back in. Yeah. But no, I I like the idea of everything because it seems like it's kind of just full circle. You've picked up these skills and other careers that you've had and now you're kind of conglomerating them together to really do what you, you feel like you've wanted to do. Like th- yeah. this is your thing now. I feel like this was your baby when before I know you had partners in the, the Coles pizza, right? I did. Yeah. I had part, I had a partner at one uh, Coles Port chest of one partner and then two partners in Bronxville. And, um, you know, partners are tough. Um, so this time around, it's just my family. It's the Shanleys and, uh, it's our first time being out on our own, so we're super excited but super nervous at the same time, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's but we are, uh, you know, I got my son Thomas who will be working with us and uh, my son Jake and my wife has been, she's the behind the scenes girl and she'll be working there with us too. Who's doing the social media? Um, I have a girl that was a waitress for me at Cole's Pizza. Okay. She graduated from FIT doing electronic media. Oh, okay. Um, so it was an easy fit. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't do anything with Instagram. I just send her photos and she does everything. Perfect. Yeah. No, that's it's it's better. Like I just said, thing about entrepreneurship is finding people that could do it better than you and then working with them. Yeah. Especially, you know, I, go ahead. I was gonna say, you know exactly what you're doing with the beer, the food, the music. Now you can rely on some other people to take care of the the smaller things. Yeah. You know, I was in a fraternity like you were and, um, you know, it, you surround yourself with, with good people, you know, and, and, and learn how to delegate the work. You know, I'm not afraid to say I'm not good at that. You know, podcasting remotely can be challenging, but with Zencaster, the product that we use to record our episodes, it doesn't really have to be. Zencaster's all-in-one web-based solution makes the process pretty quick and painless, which is, you know, the way we really want it to be. If you've been listening to The Black Box for a while now, you know that we constantly talk about how we want to bring the best quality and the best content for our listeners, you guys. And with Zencaster, they provide crystal clear sound and gorgeous HD video for us as we record our episodes with our guests. Uh, not to mention it's easy to use. That's why we really like it because instead of having to coach, you know, guests on how to set up a podcast that they have haven't been on one before. We basically just say show up with a mic and a, a computer and you're good to go with Zencaster. Zencaster is all about making your podcast experience easy and with everything from local recording to automatic post-production tools if you want to use those. Uh, you don't even have to leave your browser to get the entire episode done. If you go to zen.ai slash blackbox and enter our promo code blackbox, you'll get 30% off on your first three months of Zencaster Pro. That's zen.ai slash black box b-l-a-c-k-b-o-x it's time to share your story yeah and that's fine and it's it's better and honestly more respectable to when you can admit that because someone that tries to wear every hat it usually ends up becoming a disaster at some point because you can't hold up every every end of the table or whatever whatever uh 
thing you want to call it. But uh, I guess the other thing I wanted to say before I let Ahmed start talking. Hello, Ahmed. Hello. Thank you for joining. <laughs> <laughs> um, how does like the, because I know every industry has its own like network and like how business transactions function and stuff. Like how is the beer industry? Like how does that work? Like how do you get connected with certain people and things like that? Well, again, being the beer buyer at Kohl's, it was, uh, it was easy, right? I was meeting you who owned Barrier Brewing Company and, and your buddy here who just joined us, he owned Long Island City Brewing Company. So I knew the owners. I did beer dinners with them. I, I, I sold their beer. I pushed their beer. Um, so I think that really helped, you know? So now when I call, so I'm brewing out of a couple of breweries now and all people that I bought their beer. So I'm brewing out of Catskills, which is Crossroads, which I said earlier. I'm brewing out of Lock City in Stanford, Connecticut, who's a good friend of mine. I've been selling his beer for five years. And I'm about to start brewing out of Decadent Ales in Mamaroneck. Again, all these guys I supported. So it was just common courtesy for them to show me love, you know? I get it's also like they want to make a good relationship with you when you were the beer buyer because yep. of course they want you to buy their beer. So then you've already established a good relationship. Yeah. How does that work with you saying like, I want to brew in your brewery? Like, well, is it, they, yeah. they have time slots that are free and then you brew during that time yeah. and then you pay that's, them of course. Like, that's a, but, yeah, that's a great question. So like lock city, for example, you know, I'm in, I have some beer in the tanks there right now and you know, they'll call me and they'll say, we got a slot for you, and that slot is Tuesday at three thirty a.m. So you got to show up at three thirty a.m. Do your and, stuff, and then yeah. How long the, do you have? <laughs> well, <laughs> the tough part about uh, Lock City is they only have a seven barrel brew house, which we were talking about earlier. Yeah. But I'm doing fifteen, so I'm brewing a double batch. Yeah. So I mash in at seven at three thirty in the morning, and then I'm mashing in, and then I take that beer and I transfer it into a fermenter, and then I brew yeah. the same beer over again. And transfer it again. So it's like two brew days in one. So it's like a 12-hour day. Wow. And then I guess are there ever instances where they're like, oh, we need to get something on. Like, can you finish up? Or like, no, it's more It's more of they'll bump me. You know, they'll say, Timmy, you're coming in Wednesday night at 3.30. And then they call me Wednesday morning and say, you can't come in. You know, we'll call you back. Gotcha. And that's just how it is. Like, they obviously have their own yeah. business to uphold. But- and they, tra- they charge me. You yeah. Know? Um, but... I also have been doing collaborations, so and I did collaborations with Lock City and. Um, Which was the one with Lock City? Lock City was a beer called Hedge Fund Juice Bag. <laughs> and it was we all know what IPA. that should, should have been. <laughs> it was a triple IPA, and uh, it was eleven percent and uh, full of oats. It was a good beer, and then I did a West Coast IPA with Paul from Decadent called. Ah, Jesus. I forgot what the name of it was. What was the uh, the one that had coffee in it? Or the, the like chocolate oh, pretzels? Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, I only brewed that beer once. That was delicious. Uh, thank you. That was called Nice Looking Chops. And that yeah. was an imperial pastry stout. So it was uh, fresh vanilla beans, cacao husk, coffee. Um, oh, and it was a chocolate-covered pretzel. So I threw in yeah. 100 pounds of Oats pretzels into it. And, uh, <laughs> but believe it or not, that beer, we crushed it. But I took 50 gallons of that beer, and I put it in an old Basil Hayden whiskey barrel up at Crossroads. And this November 1st will be two years that it's sitting in that barrel. 
Oh. I put I threw some coffee in that brown. I threw some more vanilla beans in it and some cocoa nibs. Um, that I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bottle that. I'm gonna hand bottle that this winter, and it'll be released this winter. And that beer's ridiculous. If you like that, I'm beer, gonna have to try to get that from you. Yeah, it's it's gonna be super limited, super expensive, but it's gonna be really good. But I'm brewing that beer again this winter, so it'll be back the regular one in cans and kegs. I guess that was a nice. good follow up. You said uh, super expensive. I guess one that has to do with the extra effort that's gone into, you know, and the time that you had to wait to sell it. So it's like a longer investment. Yeah. It's the ingredients, the yeah, ingredients that too. Are, are costly. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, grain prices, just like everything else, just keep going up. Believe it or not, we get a ton of grain from the Ukraine. And that's, um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I actually was reading up about that like yeah, a month ago or so. We get, we get a lot of wheat and a lot of barley from them. I get my oats from middle America, but a lot of the, a lot of the barley and the wheat are from Ukraine. I guess that's another question I wanted to bring up. Um, due to all that stuff, but generally, like, how do you go about pricing beers? Like, I know there's, you know, when it's craft beer and you get the four cans in that little plastic yep. holder, that's, you know, a certain amount of money. And then you can get one can or I guess, how do you, what are the different packages that you offer it in? And then how does like the price kind of change accordingly? So that's a great yeah, it's a good question. Um, so we do cases, right? They're twenty four cans of sixteen ounce. They're four packs. That's what you sell so, to the stores, or yeah, I sell to stores and like places like Chico's and Halftime Beverage. Um, I sell them cases. They'll turn around and sell singles or four packs. Um, the price is really dictated by what's going on. You know, like it doesn't matter what it costs me to make the beer. I have to be competitive, right? So I got to charge what I charge for a double IPA. That's 8%. I got to charge what everybody else is charging, even though I'm paying someone to brew, like I'm paying, you know, somebody else's facilities. So the margins are smaller that I'm doing this, con- you know, this gypsy or contract. Brewing. Yeah. Uh, um, but that's it. I just really go with what's happening and, you know, just be competitive, you know, maybe, maybe if somebody's charging 90 a case, like a lot of people charge $90 a case for a double IPA, I charge $89, you know, um, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> we also well, now, yeah, the, um, the Pilsner, uh, which is our most successful beer, it's called stick with grandma. Uh, I was in a hardcore band back in the late 80s, early 90s called The Functional Idiots. And we wrote a song <laughs> called Stick With Grandma. And um, it's an Italian pilsner. So the ingredients are very – it's the cheapest beer for me to purchase the ingredients. But it's a pilsner. So I leave it in the tanks for six weeks. So the breweries that I brew at have to charge me for because six I'm tying up their tanks for six weeks. So it's kind of like this where – if you own your own brewery, Pilsners are kind of inexpensive. But unfortunately, I can't charge what other people charge. I have to charge a premium price, but we're crushing it. Like we've done it five times already. So we've done two times. We've done over a hundred kegs of Grandma. Um, it just sells out. It's just it's just a beautiful beer. It's like, That's awesome. I don't know if cool I tried that is, one. There's a picture of my grandmother on the can. I know the one that you're talking about. I just don't know if I tried it. Oh, if you like pills, there's, you know. It's you gave me the one, uh, Which one, the one with the flower on it. Oh, that's well? the, that's a, that one's Fouque de French. That's a farmhouse <laughs> saison. Yeah, that was yeah. good. That was delicious. Yeah, had some strawberries in it, some coriander, some peppercorns. 
Yeah, that's a good beer. I'm brewing that actually probably in two weeks at Decadent. So that's I'm heading over there to brew, um, and we're going to do something cool with that. We're going to take 50 gallons of it, put it in a, I believe, a Chardonnay barrel, and we're going to put some some grapes and maybe some peaches. It's going to be really special. So that's cool. We'll, we'll keep that in there for probably I don't know six months, and then we'll hand bottle that one too. Very cool. Yeah, no, I uh, I was on. I just, I guess, want to say hi, Tim. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Uh, sorry for being late. Oh, good. But um, just hearing uh, what I've heard the past couple of minutes, I guess, I just want to. I don't know if this has been covered already, but um, like, how did you get into, like, how did you get so into beer and like figuring out like what kinds of ingredients could work or what kinds of processes can work to make a really good product? Um, that wasn't asked uh, yet. Good question. It wasn't asked. Good question. Okay. So I'm a home brewer, right? So I started home brewing five gallons of beer and I started like everybody else. We used a, an extract, which is basically like a syrup and you warm it up and you pour it in. It's like those homebrew kits, you know? Um, so I was doing that and then I was, tasting other people's home brews. And I was like, why is your beer so much better than mine? They were like, you need to use all green. So that was it. Once I switched to all green, I was hooked. What's all you green? Know? All green, meaning I wasn't using extracts. I was oh, oh, like real just like- barley, real wheat, real oats. And um, once I switched to that, it was just a game changer. So when you're only brewing five gallons, you can tweak it, right? So I do a five gallon batch of double IPA and you know, 20 days later, I pop one, I drink it. I'm like, wow, this is really good. But I like more of this citra hop or I like less of this cascade hop or, you know what? I wanted a little thicker. So let me add some oats. So I would just take notes and I just kept tweaking and just kept brewing and tweaking and brewing. So when it was time for me to start brewing commercially, I went to them and they were like, okay, what do you got? I'm like, I got five gallon recipes. You know, you're talking probably about 11 pounds of grain. You know, and now I'm using 1,100 pounds of grain. So what what, what you do is you take my five-gallon recipe and we put it into some software and then it kicks it back for whatever size system I'm brewing on. Okay. I was going to ask how you scale it up, but... Yeah, that's how it is. There's some software out there. Um, They're not perfect, but again, I kept notes even commercially. So when I was brewing seven barrels, I was like, you know what? That Saison definitely needs more coriander or that double IPA needs more oats. So I just tweaked it a little bit. So now the like six cores, beer, six core beers that I have, they're perfect. You know, do they like hit each of the types of beer? It sounds like, what do you mean? Like a size on, and then there's a double IPA. And then are you kind of trying to have one type of every beer? I mean, I'm just really brewing the ones that you like and know. Yeah. Like once I have my own facility, we'll be brewing like 40 to 50 different styles of beer a year. (laughs) Um, But these were the recipes that I mastered and I felt comfortable with them. And I don't want to put out a bunch of different beers right now. You know, I want to focus on these, but we've done the Italian Pilsner, which is stick with grandma. We've done Larry's Liquid Love, which is a double IPA, but it's a little bit of East Coast and it's West Coast, so it's a little bitter and juicy. Um, I did another double IPA called Your Mom's Best Friend. Um, and both of those IPAs have no lactose. Um, like that beer, Nice Looking Chops, that pastry stout, that has yeah. lactose in it. Yeah, yeah. 
lot of the IPAs, the double IPAs that everybody's drinking, has lactose in them, and they don't even realize because it does two things: it makes it sweeter, and it also gives it that hazy, milky, like foggy. I call it yolky. You know, yolky, okay, like yeah. Yolk, you know. Um, um, so what do I got? I got a Pilsner. I got two double IPAs, no lactose. I did a collaboration with two villains called Beat Conductor. Um, that is a true New England IPA, 100 pounds of lactose. Um, and then I did Nice Looking Chops, the pastry stout, Fook the French. And I think that's it for me, like just under my, yeah. my brand. And then I've done a couple of – I did another collab with two villains at their place in Nyack. We did a really nice spring ale. We named it after a Joey Badass song. We called it Don't Front. I fucked with that, yeah. It was like 5%, a spring ale. It's really crushable. So it's basically like a mild IPA. I might like that. That sounds something like Sometimes the IPA flavor is strong for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think people either love IPAs or they don't love them. There's really nothing in between. You know, but everything's starting to come back. Like the first, the IPAs that got me hooked were the West Coast IPAs. You know, they were, I'm going to use the yeah. word dank, right? They smelled and tasted like your cat ate your bag of weed and peed on your Christmas tree. Like that's what they tasted like to me. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, um, the Alchemist, you know, came out with Hetty Topper. That, that was the one, that was the first one. And then Treehouse came out and Trillium came out and, um, but now, little by little, West Coast is starting to do a resurgence. And like me, I, I'm brewing what I like. Like I like the juiciness of a New England IPA, but I also like the bitterness of the West Coast. So like that beer, don't front. It's a little bit of both. It's a little juicy, but a little bitter. So if you don't like juicy New Englands, maybe you would like that one. Yeah. I also like I like sweet as well, okay. like a little bit of sweetness in there. When it gets too bitter, that's when I don't like it so you would uh, like lactose then probably well, i did like the one that you know was uh, the pastry one i know it's not yeah, yeah. Uh, the same but that did have lactose in it um what was the thing i was going to ask so like you're saying now you tried to keep i mean due to resources but also because you wanted to focus on the ones you mastered you have just built like a small selection as of right now yep so did you do that just so you could like develop a good brand for yourself with a limited amount and kind of make it somewhat exclusive before you move to this big place where you'll have the independence to do all these different flavors and try these things. Because if you start trying to put out a bunch of stuff now before you're even established and some of them don't hit, then like that could be also negative in some way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, everything you just said is the, you know, truth. Like the whole reason why I did this is a, I couldn't wait any longer. You know, I, I wanted to, I wanted to get some of my beer out there. Um, but I know what sells, right? Cause I own Cole's pizza. You, you know, I know what's happening, right? I, I'm, I'm talking to beer geeks, nerds, whatever you want to call them every day, you know? Um, so I'm very attuned to what's going. I have my ear to the street. I know gotcha, what's yeah. selling right now, you know? Um, so I took the recipes that I mastered and I said, okay, out of these recipes that I mastered, what's selling right now? Um, like pastry stouts, I'm actually not a huge fan of them. I like a Guinness stout. I drank an ocean of Guinness stout in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, but these pastry stouts, the kids love them. So I made one, you know? Um, but yeah, I I basically, it wasn't just, oh, let me make this beer because I know how to make it. I I put some thought into it. Okay. You know, there was some strategy in there as well. hundred percent. Um, I guess I'm before I let you ask your 
couple questions yourself. Um, <laughs> Wi-Fi is going shit. Um, could you give us kind of as quick, as brief as you want, like a little rundown of like the different main different categories of beers and what makes them different from each other? It's a great question. It's funny, you know, I get these beer geeks come in all the time. They're like, I know everything about beer. I'm like, what's the difference between an ale and a lager? Right? That's the first question I and they don't ask. don't know. They don't know. They don't know. I'm not going to pretend now, that I know. I just drink it and if, I, if you, I like the I'll taste, then it tastes good. I'll tell you, and it's really easy. Um, ales and lagers. 95% of the beers that we drink in America are ales. So stouts are ales, wheat beers are ales, double IPAs are ales. Um, the difference between an ale and a lager is the yeast, right? I could take the same grain. I could take two row barley, some golden promise, and some carapils. And split the batch. And if I pitch an ale yeast in one and a log yeast in the other, <clears throat> excuse me, they're two completely different beers. Really? Ale yeast are warm fermented and the yeast floats on the top of the beer. Lagers are cold fermented and the yeast sinks to the bottom. Bottom, okay. Lager in German means to lay away, to store. So that's what the Germans did. The Germans had lager in caves, right? And they would, they would lager their beers, which means cold conditions. So pre-refrigeration, they would drag blocks of ice into caves and they would be able to prolong their brewing process for the summer months. Now, obviously during the summer, they, they didn't brew, but it would extend it, you know? Um, and yeah. also the, the term German beer garden is thrown around very loosely. German beer garden came from walnut trees or oak trees planted above the lagering caves to shade the caves to keep the temperature 20 okay. degrees cooler. And the brewers would sit underneath the trees at picnic tables and have lunch and drink lagers. That's, that's how really German cool. beer gardens came to be, wow. you know? Um, so that's really what separated ales and lagers. And, you know, lagers can get tricky. Like a Pilsner, um, it's a lager, you know, uh, it's cold fermented. And when I say cold fermented, I mean cold fermented, you know, like in the 40s, down into the 30s, where okay. ales are like 70s, low okay. 80s, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and there's one beer, it's like a Kolsch. Have you ever heard of that? A German Kolsch, K-O-L-S-C-H? No. It's from uh, Cologne, Germany. Um, they actually had, like, if the beer came from Cologne, Germany, it was a Kolsch. Like, if I made a beer in California, you weren't allowed to call it a Kolsch. It had to be made. Just like champagne has to be made. Would that be a lager type? It is. It's okay. cold fermented. Um, that was the first gold beer ever in the world. And it was in 1842. Yeah, I believe 1842. Up until that time, all beers were dark. They were all porters and stouts or, you know, Oktoberfest, which were copper. But this one brewer in um, Pils in Czechoslovakia said, what happens if I don't roast this barley? as much as we roast the other ones. Anyway, he made the first clear beer and um, that's when glassware really took off. Up until that time, they were drinking clay, yeah. ceramic mugs, you know? Once that beer, people flipped out all over the world. They're like, oh my God, look at this golden beer. So that's when glassware really started to take off because people wanted to show off their beautiful golden beer in a glass rather than a, a ceramic mug. That's really interesting. That's yeah. so interesting. And I just wanted to reiterate one more time that this episode was made with Zencaster and 
check out our coupon code below if you're interested to utilize their tools. Um, I guess. Uh, all right. So I, I guess a bit of background about me. I studied um, chemical engineering in school. He was um, in the fraternity too. And okay. Yeah. Yeah. And also boys <laughs> with Connor. Um, but uh, like how, like did you have some like formal education that you, you needed or used to start your like your career off in beer or was this something that you learned through some other so, means it's a really good question um books right today <laughs> i want to learn how to do anything no it's, way it's, it's, it's youtube right yeah so if you two want to start brewing you can youtube how to make a double ipa and then it'll hold your hand and walk you right through it i probably have 40 brewing books downstairs in my basement um it was brewing. It was reading books, speaking to other home brewers, and me brewing and taking notes and tweaking the recipes. So yeah, no, it I, I, it, it took me a long time to make a good beer, um, and it, it, it kind of bothers me actually, right? That people have YouTube out there, and this is for anything, like even charcuterie, even like me making gobble goals and and um, prosciuttos. I learned from old Italians and old Austrians and old Germans who held my hand and taught me. And I, and I bought, I would buy like a 300 page cookbook from Italy. And all I really wanted was five pages in it that touched on curing of meats, yeah. talking about salt and nitrates and, nit and nitrates and nitrites. And um, so, yeah, all of my stuff that I learned playing the drums, making charcuterie and brewing beer was all reading and experience and picking other brewers, drummers, and sausage makers. Brings. Yeah, it was hard. Like, I swear, if I, I think if I started today, I could, besides the drums, I could master all of those in a year. With Through YouTube, YouTube yeah. Uh, you yeah. can learn things so much quicker. You're right. That's I, you a luxury know, honestly, we have. And I had this mm -hmm. argument with some, like, young guys your age, right? We talk yeah. about drummers, you know, and they're like, oh, well, the drummers, you know, drummers today are so much better than drummers from years ago. And I'm like, you know, you're probably right. I see some of these like studio musicians and they're just beast. But like back in the day when I wanted to learn how to play a song from say Robert Plant, right? He released his first solo record and Phil Collins was the drummer. I think the album was called, the song was, I'll never forget it. It was called I'm in the Mood. I'm in the Mood for a Melody. And there was a drum fill in it that Phil Collins did and I couldn't figure it out. The only way for me to figure it out was to go see Robert Plant and watch Phil Collins do that fill. Same thing with the police, like Stuart Copeland used to play, he still does, plays these off beats. He plays like one, he doesn't play on the two and the four, he plays on the end of the two and the four. Gotcha. And um, like, I feel like these, the drummers today, they just Google and watch this guy over and over again. Oh, that's how he does the fill. But I literally had to go to the show to see how the guy played yeah. that fill or played that beat. You know, I, I feel like YouTube has really taken all the hard work out of anything that you want to learn how to do. Even me, when I got to change a, a door on my house, I'm like, I just got YouTube. Yeah. Google YouTube. Yeah. And even, even like companies that'll sell you something, right? Like they could always put like an installation guide or some help guide on YouTube to help you out. So I feel like they're, yeah, no, I, I love YouTube for yeah. that reason. But it definitely made it a lot easier to do things, so I guess. Oh, yeah. There were times when I've ordered things for my car and they just sent me 
like the piece of paper how to install, but then they're like, just go watch a YouTube video with this link. Went and looked it up, and then I did it side by yeah. side with the guy. So yeah, I mean, if you if you YouTube home brewing double IPA, just sit back and watch and take notes and brew. I mean, it's as easy as that. You yeah. know, um, I took a bunch of home brewing classes. Like I said, I, fl- I flew out to Chicago and took some classes out there. Um, but yeah, it was a long. Uh, it was a long. It was a long haul. But I feel like that also too applies to like off topic, but you know, engineering with Connor, me, and Ahmed what we can do now and find and look up so quickly because we've just become really comfortable with a computer. We would have had to go to the library and spend an hour just looking for what we need to find. Now we can find it in three seconds. Yeah. We, I, when I was in college yeah. and high school, we used encyclopedias, like literally. Yeah. Really. <laughs> it's insane. So, all right, bring it, bring it back to the main topic of this, but what's, um, I guess, do you have like a, three five year ten year plan with the brewery with your brand in general do you want to pick up any other side hustles and maybe turn them into like cash flowing opportunities or (laughs) yeah i do so um, (laughs) obviously you know we get opening the tap room this this week coming up um and we'll operate out of there and then we'll finish building this building and open up there but what what i did is so I make charcuterie and I make it in my basement, right? But it needs to be USDA approved. In order so to it has sell to it? Be at a facil- yeah, in order for me to sell it, it has to be made at a USDA approved facility that's inspected by the USDA on a weekly basis. So I've been looking for years to try. I can make fresh sausages, right? So I can yeah. make cheese and parsley sausages, vacuum pack them and sell them at the restaurant. Yeah, yeah. But cured meats, you can't. Um, but I found a guy... Just like I'm making beer, this guy's going to let me make charcuterie at his plant in Pennsylvania. Um, so in the next six months, you're going to see us um, launch a charcuterie sausage brand. I'm calling it Run and Sons. And the first thing we're going to release is a finocchio. It's a, an Italian salami. Oh, I'm going to probably definitely have to. Are you going to sell it as well, package it and sell it? 100%. You have to at this point. Yeah, (laughs) so I'm super super excited (laughs) to start that little brand. Um, Even if it really, even if it's just me selling it out of my store and maybe to a couple of chef friends of mine, you know, but I'm I'm super excited about it. Yeah. That's awesome. No, no, definitely. That and even if it's expensive, the... the pastry one that you're storing in the oh, barrel. Yeah, I want to yeah, yeah. maybe just let me know. I'll, I'll see I'll, on social media, but set one aside I'll for me. I'll to a bottle for you, JP. Um, <laughs> all right, good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I guess, Ahmed, did you have any other questions? Yeah. Um, I guess just a fun one before we, before we wrap up. Uh, what are your, what is your favorite beer that you've made and your favorite beer that you Great haven't question. made? Um, the Italian Pilsner stick with grandma is my favorite beer. Um, I, I don't know if it's because my grandmother's on the can and she was uh, a guiding light in my life or the fact that other people like just relate to it because your grandmother was a guiding light in your life. Um, but the beer is delicious and there's that connection that people just get like people just come up to me like my grandmother was everything to me is that your grandmother yeah. on the can i'm like it is you know um but the a beer i haven't made yet is um well i i mean i make it but it's it's sour beer you know they're, they're difficult to make 
there's all different. There's sour beers. Sours are my ales. favorite. Um, yeah. Are yeah. they? So my friend owns my friend owns Hudson Valley Brewing Company, John Anthony, and um, you know they are the kings of sours, fruited sours, sour IPAs, sour double IPAs. Um, but unfortunately, nobody will let me make it at their place because it is a wild, natural, airborne yeast, and I could contaminate their other beers that aren't sour if I don't know what I'm doing. And to be quite honest with you, I don't know what I'm doing. Gotcha. <laughs> um, but my favorite beer in the world is um, a beer from Belgium called Cezanne. It's a Cezanne Dupont, and it's just it's just an incredible beer. If you can ever get a chance to try one, they actually have them in cans now, which is incredible, 16-ounce cans. Cezanne Dupont, I can text you the info, JP. Yeah. But um, it's just it's just so subtle and so complex at the same time, you know. It pairs with everything. It pairs with mussels and chicken and salad and sh- any seafood. Um, and there's a really cool story to it, too. When, the, when oh, Hitler and his, his cronies were raping and pillaging through Europe, um, this family, the DuPont family, cut their copper kettles and buried them in the fields because they didn't want Hitler and his boys to get them because that's what they were doing. They were taking anything they get their hands on. Yeah. And when America, the U.S. citizen, the U.S. Army came to liberate them, they actually helped that family dig that copper out of the field. And that beer is still brewed on that brew house today. Wow. Really? So it's, it's pretty wild. Damn. Yeah. So they, yeah, what, so and they, they ended up building it? Yeah, like, so obviously Ameri- rebuilding it and moving it yeah, up. Yeah, so the American soldiers just came in and helped them dig it out of the field and move it back into their barn. And, um, and lastly, Cezanne's are the coolest thing. You know why? Because... In Wallonia, the French-speaking part of Belgium, if you, JP, uh, were a farmer and you were a farmer, I mean, we all had – you did something, right? So on your farm, you grew wheat, and he grew fruit, and I grew some spices. We would get together and brew together, and you would bring your stuff, and I would bring my stuff, and we bottled it, and we would just split it amongst us. And that beer was made to be drank by the field workers. They were called – seasoners mm-hmm. seasonal workers yeah and that beer it was so it was it was pretty low in alcohol but really thirst quenching and um they would drink it in the fields uh, and that's really basically how saisons came to be which is another cool fact you know wow. i love the history aspects of all yeah, these kinds too. of things <laughs> there's like the hidden symbols how about yeah. uh just one one last uh this one might be a bit of a stupid question but um, your favorite, like, like, like crappy beer, or I don't, I don't want to call any beer crappy, but like Bud Light, Budweiser, Natty Light, all yeah, of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's great. I call them retro beers. Okay, that's <laughs> um, a little more respectable. <laughs> I, mean, I drink, I drink a sea of Budweisers. Um, in college, when I pledged my fraternity, we were drinking Genesee Cream Ale. I don't know if you ever had one, but I'm not Genesee. a fan of them. Yeah. Genesee cream ale. It was horrible. I thought I, I still <laughs> didn't like it. So when I became a brother in the fraternity, I voted to never serve Genesee cream ale ever again. So they said, why don't you run with it? So I went That's to the good. local beer distributor and a keg of Genesee cream ale at the time was $79. This would have been the, the late 80s. 
was $79, but we could get a keg of Bush for $82. We voted on it and passed it, and my fraternity never drank Genesee Cream Ale ever again. <laughs> you made um, an impact on Pi Alpha New Fraternity at New Pulse. Yeah, exactly. But I think my favorite beer, retro beer, would be a Rheingold. I love Rheingolds. <laughs> I know you've heard a lime of that. In, if you put a lime in it, it actually tastes like a Corona. <laughs> I was in, my I mean I'm not even a huge drinker. Usually if I do drink I'll have like a red wine. That's what I've been yeah. doing lately, but uh like a Corona with lime or uh That's really it honestly. I'm trying to think of what other beers I'll drink. But in college I guess it was we'd get but what Bud Light? Or we we got we drank a lot of Natter Days, which I don't even know or oh, yeah. would I don't even know if it's beer anymore, if it's strawberry lemonade flavored. <laughs> but, oh, have geez. you had those before? I it's like it's like iced tea or lemonade mixed in with the beer and it's really not that it, bad. It, I mean it <laughs> tastes good. Like you could they're good like a good beach day drink. Oh shit. That's a yeah. guy. No, it's just been today, been a bad day. Wow, it's all great. Uh, it's gonna be some work on the editing. Side. Yeah, no, I was saying it, they're they're like such a great beach day drink because, like, I don't know, they're just easy to drink. They're not that high in alcohol content, so you know, you, like, you could drink a large quantity and not feel terrible afterwards. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Chill and sip on it with the boys. Yeah. Yeah, but let's be honest. In college, I I drank whatever you had. You know. Yeah. yeah, that's also true. We were just like, whatever we can get our hands on, we're okay with. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we don't need to get too much. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, I guess before we wrap it up, you want to just plug your, I guess, the openings again, whatever dates you want to share and social sure. medias? Sure. So we have a soft opening for the tap room, but unfortunately, it's just invite only. It's for industry people, meaning my fellow brewers bars and restaurants that buy my beer. So that's what's coming Monday. Tuesday's the official grand opening. We're located at 223 and a half Westchester Avenue in Port Chester, New York. And follow us on Instagram, RH Brewing. Perfect. Awesome. That's about it, fellas. All right, Tim, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, Ed, you want to send us off? Uh, sure. You, you guys know where to find us at Black Box Podcast. No A in the Black on Instagram and Twitter. Black Box Podcast with an A in the Black on TikTok. Tim, thank you again. Um, this was it was dope hearing a little bit about the behind the scenes of beer, but um, yeah, I'm sure everyone. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks again. Um, all right, guys. And if you're not around, if you if you guys are anywhere near Porchester, come by Tuesday or Wednesday night. For a complimentary beer. I'd be down. Right. I'm around. You know, I'm back up in Brewster now. Come see me. Uh, uh, let me text Connor and All you guys right. in that group chat and we'll, we'll discuss. But thank All you right. so much. Really thank appreciate you it. So much. Good luck Cheers, with everything, bro. too. Thank you, man. Yep. Bye.